1: the SenseMaker. Hello, I'm Claudia and this is the SenseMaker from Tortoise. One story every day to make sense of the world. Until the end of the year, the SenseMaker podcast is looking back at the biggest stories of the past 12 months. Today, how the stories of two women bookended a year which might change Iran forever. In the early hours of March the seventeenth this year, a plane carrying two British hostages touched down at an RAF base in Oxfordshire. One of them was Anousheh Ashoury, who'd been held by the Iranians since twenty seventeen. The other, who'd become quite well known since she was put in prison in twenty sixteen, was Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe. She was delighted to be at home, but frustrated it had taken so long.
2: I was told many, many times that, oh, we're going to get you home. That never happened. So there was a time that I felt like, do you know what? I'm like, no, I'm not even going to trust you because I've been told many, many times that I'm going to be taken home. So now here we are. What's happened now should have happened six years ago.
1: You probably remember Nazanin's story. She was on holiday visiting family in Iran in 2016 when she was taken prisoner along with her daughter, Gabriela. Iran accused her of spying, but that was always a trumped-up charge. Something else was going on.
2: So when she was very first arrested, we were completely bewildered. So she was taken on holiday, had been to Iran you know, three times in the, that year, had been many times previously, all fine, was taken and disappeared. So she we had no contact of where she was, so we had no idea what was going on. How long were you completely in the dark for? So... The, it came in stages, you know. It just didn't make any sense. And mm. I think, in terms of it being explained to us, it was explained to her first um, through kind of half suggestions, then gradually clearer messages. The message that came to to us from uh, what came to her from the said, "Listen, we're, we're holding you to, to make the British reached agreement. If the British reached agreement, you'll leave without charge." I passed that on to the Foreign Office. She then got charged. And then gradually it got clearer and clearer as to, to, to what it's about.
1: That's Richard Ratcliffe, Nazanin's husband, talking to Tortoise before she got out. What it was about was a lot of money that Britain owed to Iran for some tanks that the Iranians had paid for back in the 1970s. The UK had never delivered them, and so all that time, the debt grew. The UK paid it, £400 million altogether just before Nazanin was let out. They said it was unconnected to her release, though many people didn't believe them. The UK naturally wanted to avoid the accusation that they had paid a ransom to the group that had taken Nazanin hostage, the Revolutionary Guard.
0: Established in the wake of the 1979 Islamic Revolution, the Revolutionary Guards are often described as a parallel government within Iran. Tasked with protecting Iranian interests at home and abroad, it's also heavily involved in regional politics and conflicts.
1: The Revolutionary Guard's job is to protect the Islamic revolution in Iran and the Islamic hardliners who run it. The kind of policies that affect women in particular, like strict dress codes and a morality police to enforce them, are close to their heart. The Revolutionary Guard is extremely powerful, it's very wealthy, and it has a life of its own within the country. It also runs Iran's programme of taking hostages. So when Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe was released, and the British government paid that tank debt, it looked like a triumph for their old way of doing business. Taking Nazanin hostage had worked, the debt had been repaid. There wasn't much doubt as Nazanin flew home in March this year that things looked pretty rosy for the hardliners in Iran. There was no reason for them to think there was serious trouble ahead. That was until the awful case of another woman came along to turn everything on its head. Masa Amini.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row?
1: Six months after Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe flew home, Masa Amini was killed. She was 22 years old and from Kurdistan in the north of Iran. But in September this year, she was visiting her brother in the capital, Tehran. While she was there, she was arrested by the morality police, apparently for not wearing her hijab properly, and wearing what the police chief in Tehran described as tight pants. The evidence shows that she was badly beaten in the back of a police van. She collapsed at the police station, was taken to hospital, where she went into a coma, and died on September 16th. Her death was rare enough that a reporter called Nalufa Hamedi wrote about it. Within a few days, Nalufa had been arrested for her reporting, but it didn't stop her story being the spark for some really astonishing events. The day she reported Masa Amini's story, people took to the streets. They chanted, I will kill whoever killed my sister. The next day, September 17th, the protests began to spread. At first to Masa Amini's hometown, and then further still. By September the 20th, there seemed to have been demonstrations in more than half of Iran's provinces, and people had started to die. One Norwegian human rights organisation reckons that by this point... 402 demonstrators had been killed. (laughs) On September 28th, Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe released a video (laughs) of her cutting her hair, something which women across Iran were doing to symbolise their fight against oppression and reciting the names of some of those who died. The Revolutionary Guard weighed in to support the government's line, which was that Masa Amini had died from natural causes, but it made no difference. Students protested. Oil workers went on strike and blocked roads. The government, the security forces and the Revolutionary Guard seemed to have lost control of the situation. There hadn't been anything like it in Iran for more than 40 years. By the end of October, the head of the Revolutionary Guard went public to tell the protesters that he'd had enough. Today is the final day of riots, he said. We will not leave you alone. We will take revenge. People feared that a brutal crackdown was about to start, but it never materialised, or at least it didn't get any worse. And so the protests carried on into November. Massa Amini's death was the spark which lit the fuse in Iran. But the demonstrations haven't only been about Massa's murder. Iranians have been getting poorer because America has imposed sanctions on the country to try to stop it developing nuclear weapons. They've had an enormous effect on daily life. And after 43 years of rule by the ayatollahs, as they're known, the leaders of Islam in Iran, people have had enough of strict religious rule and all the brutal policing that's needed to keep it in place. The ayatollahs have got a problem now. Many of the protesters have gone too far and risked too much to go back. And the ayatollahs don't seem to know what to do. Iran's new year isn't until March, but as our 2023 comes to an end, Iran finds itself in a more perilous position than it has for decades. If the protests continue into next year, as there is every sign they will, then a lot of Iranian people will start to believe they're in the middle of a new revolution, which will sweep away the existing establishment and all the ayatollahs with it. It's hard to imagine that would happen peacefully. And the stories of two women will have been central to Iran's history at this critical time. Anything seems possible in Iran in the months ahead. Thank you for listening to The Sensemaker from Tortoise. This episode was written by Kerry Thomas and mixed by Matt Russell.